0: Welcome to our new Business Deep Dive half-hour show here on WKXL. I'm Matt Robeson. We are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. And our guest, who's graciously agreed to join us and may even come back, is the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock-investing radio show in America, broadcast on 60 stations across the country, and also available as one of the hottest podcasts out there. Chris Hill, welcome to WKXL. It's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to have you and to launch this new show on the station. Uh, let's let's dive right into it. There is so much going on in the world of business and investing. Let's start at the top. Let, let, high level. Tell me about the stock market. It has been such a wild year of ups and downs, and we seem to be on more of an upswing lately. So, does that mean it's a good time to invest, a bad time? How should people be feeling?
1: It certainly is an interesting time to invest. Um, last week, uh, the market hitting a new high. And I think that it's natural, just as consumers, we walk into a store or we see something online. If we see a high price tag, we're sort of loath to rush towards that item. But I think that when you're thinking about investing and at the Motley Fool we think about investing in the stock market as you're doing it with money that you don't need for at least five years. We're trying to think as long-term as possible. So if you've got money that you don't need for five years, we think the stock market is a great place. Historically, it has proven to be a great place. And we think it will continue to be a great place in the future to invest your money. Again, money you don't need for at least five years, if you're thinking, well, I might need this money in a couple of years to buy a house or send a kid to college, that sort of thing. Anything can happen in the short run. But over the long run, the stock market does go up over time. It is a better place to grow your wealth than a savings account or even real estate. So yes, it's if we're talking about money you don't need for at least five years, yeah, this is a good time to get in.
0: Are there any conditions, even though you keep a long-term focus as you Uh, I don't want to say advise, but as you educate people on investment strategies, how sensitive are you guys at the Motley Fool to the goings on in Washington? Obviously, the state of the economy is so sensitive right now to the infusion of aid from Washington. We saw that with the CARES Act earlier this year, that $2.2 trillion um, has been credited by economists of really staving off another Great Depression. How how closely are you watching the goings on in
1: D.C. in the coming months as you evaluate the guidance that that you give? Well, it's hard to ignore them, in part because The Motley Fool is based in Alexandria, Virginia, which is right across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C. So when you're talking about things like the CARES Act, you're talking about uh, uh, Fed policy, uh, the ability to provide direct aid to states, to businesses, to industries. Obviously, that has an impact. That being said, in general, we try to avoid focusing on politics. We like to focus on businesses. Um, We got a lot of natural questions leading up to the presidential election from people saying, well, I'm thinking if... Donald Trump gets reelected, then these industries will do well. I'm thinking if Joe Biden gets elected, these other industries will do well. And part of the response we gave was, look, history has proven time and time again, that those predictions are wrong more often than they are right. I mean, Think back four years ago, there were a lot of people saying, with Donald Trump being elected, this was going to be a huge boon for the coal industry. And yet, if you invested in coal industry stocks over the last four years, you're not very happy with your returns. Um, I like to say that if your investment thesis for a business depends heavily on whoever the occupant of the White House is, you should probably look towards other businesses to invest your money in. Got it. And, and I mean, do any of the breadcrumbs,
0: like, for example, the stock market reaction to the appointment of Janet Yellen as the, as the Treasury Secretary was obviously very positive, and that can be read any number of ways. But, you know, I think the interpretation, at least kind of a, a plain, you know, surface level interpretation is this is someone who is seen as stable credible um, you know has a pretty uh, uh, tight balance uh, tight's the wrong word there has a pretty good balance uh, of perspective on uh, tightness of, uh, of monetary policy, um, fiscal policy. Um, are you going to be looking at any breadcrumbs like that or are you really stick to fundamentals over, over the next few months of, of the kinds of industries that would have that longer term success trajectory over the next five years?
1: We try to focus on businesses. We try to focus on where the world is going. So if you think about something like cash versus digital payments, uh, I think it's reasonable to expect there's going to be more digital payments, more of us getting out our credit card, more of us paying with our smartphone than reaching into our wallet and grabbing out pieces of paper or digging around for coins. So I think that as an industry has a bright future. Uh, So in general, we prefer to focus on those things. That said, you can't ignore the fact that, as you indicated, Matt, uh, Janet Yellen uh, being the next Treasury Secretary, that had a wonderfully calming effect on Wall Street. uh, And I think that speaks to her experience. I think that speaks to her temperament. Um, And so uh, that was, uh, you know, again, you can't ignore something like that and, and what it means both in the short and long term. So let's take a look at some of those
0: longer-term trajectories for an industry that I think is near and dear to most people's hearts uh, in America, and that's Hollywood. Warner Brothers announced recently that they're going to be offering every movie next year on HBO Max, and this seems to be part of a longer-term trend, the rise of streaming services, the fall of uh, in-theater experiences. So Movie theater stocks took a giant whack in the market uh, as a result and now it sounds like from your show people are legitimately asking is this going to be the nail in the coffin for movie theaters what's your take
1: as someone who loves movies and loves going to the movies um Uh, I I can't be 100% objective about this. That being said, I I, I think it's hard to imagine that movie theaters go away altogether. Um, They are um, probably bigger than they need to be. Um, as you said, the, the movie theater stocks like AMC Entertainment, um, Cinemark, Cineworld, you know, these these businesses that own chains like Regal, um, yeah, they're, they're hurting uh, for all of the obvious reasons. I do think there is a way in which movie theaters do come out the other side. I wouldn't rush out to buy shares of movie theater stocks right now simply because they are cheaper now than they were um, uh, earlier in the year. Um, but I do think there will come a point where people will want to get back to going to movies. Um, I, I think that maybe movie theaters get reimagined, and it's you know it's interesting because uh, I think it's obvious for you know to see the drop in movie theater stocks and say, okay, well, th- well, they're they're in a lot of trouble. Keep in mind, Matt, the entire Hollywood economic system is built up on box office receipts, and that has a ripple effect all the way through to writers and producers, and Actors and directors, and so if box office receipts go away, then all of those people who, in the cases of the big tentpole movies, are used to really big paydays or or sort of back end points, as they say in Hollywood, um, if that goes away. They're going to want to get compensated. And then that starts a separate conversation with the Netflixes and the Amazon primes uh, of the world. So um, I, I don't think it's, it's as simple as, well, streaming's going up and movie theaters are going away. I, I think there's a way that movie theaters get reimagined so that there's an even better. In theater experience. Um, Maybe it's a little bit more expensive. Maybe it's more like going to a Broadway show. Uh, But I think the future absolutely does involve movie theaters.
0: It's interesting because in the industry, sometimes there's a move toward innovation. And, you know, there was a lot of dabbling around with. IMAX with 3D. And, you know, the the thought was, look, technology is going to save us here because we can give people a really enhanced experience vis-a-vis what they can get at home. And by the way, you and I are of a vintage where my high school after school job was at a video store, which for our younger set listeners, um, that was a store that you used to have to walk or get in your car to go to, to get movies. Um, It's just an unthinkable thought, of course. And then we had DVDs, right? And we had Blu-ray and each new iteration of technology that comes along, you think, okay, well, this is the killer app that's going to sort of redefine, and we're going to, we're going to rest here at this stopping place for a while. But it turns out that those uh, dabblings in, in IMAX, uh, in 3D, were kind of mixed success. So it sounds like you're saying that when it comes to movies, this may go beyond uh, one simple innovation it may go beyond, certainly, you know, what you see in distressed industries like this is consolidation. So, you know, maybe you could see a Cinemark and an AMC, you know, a merger discussion, some cost cutting, but, but it sounds like what you're saying is there's a need for a deeper rethink that goes all the way through the supply chain to the product of how we do this, how people get compensated, what what that economic value chain is.
1: Absolutely. And if you think about just the basic principles of supply and demand, if the number of movie theaters drops dramatically, if the number of seats within the theater because of distancing drops, then all of a sudden, if if movie theaters can make that shift, all of a sudden uh, they're able to provide more choice. So um, one way to look at what Netflix has done is to flip it on its head and say, well, wait a minute, what if the future actually involves movie theaters um, renting themselves out in much smaller footprints And so you get together with maybe uh, 20 of your family and friends and you say, hey, we're going to go to the movie theater, but we're not beholden to what are the latest releases. We actually can go watch classic movies, which came out before we were old enough to go see them. And we can watch The Godfather on the big screen for the first time ever. We could go see Jaws for the First time ever on the big screen. Uh, I I really think this is a much longer conversation. Um, And again, I think there's a way for movie theaters to come out, maybe smaller, but more profitable on the other side of it. Well, that's
0: fascinating, really creative ideas. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, my daughter was just invited. Talk about businesses coping during unprecedented times in the pandemic. My daughter was just invited to a birthday party, which is a, you know, exactly like you described, sort of a single purpose, purpose, small event catering to sort of a different clientele with a different business model around it. Fascinating to see how that pans out. Let's talk about another uh, business. I, I mean, this is sort of a broader sector rather than a particular industry, but holiday retail, Um, retail has been really under uh, under a lot of stress, a lot of pressure due to innovation, uh, due to the online e-tail economy. Uh, And now we come to a totally unprecedented retail holiday season, which makes up just such a whopping percentage of, of retail sales. So how are things shaping up for the retail economy as we head into Christmas during a pandemic?
1: You're absolutely right. This is, for retailers, the most important time of the year. Uh, Back-to-school shopping is second on that list. It was interesting to me and uh, my co-host on Motley Fool Money, uh, the most recent earnings reports from huge retailers like Walmart and Target, uh, the CEOs were asked directly about their holiday forecast. And both of them played it very close to the vest. They're being very cautious. I don't think, given their track record running those two companies, I don't think they're necessarily sandbagging. I I think they are optimistic, but they don't want to provide specifics around that. So to the extent that we're trying to read the tea leaves, um, there are fewer tea leaves this time around than we normally have. Um, I, I think that what we've seen, Matt, is an expansion of what is typically the holiday retail season. We've seen uh, the biggest retailers sort of get out in front weeks and weeks ago saying, look, supply chains are uh, under stress. Um, Shippers, the major shippers, UPS and FedEx have been saying the same sort of thing. So um, people like me who who are historically uh, late shoppers when it comes to Christmas are hopefully getting their acts together and and buying things uh, a little earlier this year. I know I'm trying to do that. Um, I think that every retailer has had to make adjustments. And when I say every retailer, it's from Walmart and Target and Amazon all through to the local shops, wherever you live, Um, they're trying to do whatever they can to get people in stores, provide curbside pickup, provide online services. And I think Matt, the retail industry as a whole would be in more trouble if the pandemic had hit our country in say August, as opposed to March in the way that it did. I think that the lead time, the adjustments that so many retailers were able to make Earlier in the year that they were forced to make earlier in the year, I think that's going to pay off in a better retail holiday season than we would have seen otherwise. No, it's it's really interesting
0: that you say that because obviously there's been a lot of short term triaging and innovation and adaptation, as you say, uh, around the new reality that we're in. But there's also this sort of longer term trend, and I was wondering, you know, you cited some of the larger retail outlets, but of course it's been especially tough on you know what's kind of colloquially called the mom and pop, the smaller uh, stores out there. It's funny, you know, I was thinking about the 2005 movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. 15 years ago, they were making the joke of the, the woman who s- starts the storefront operation, I'll sell it on eBay, which of course leads to the classic Jonah Hill joke. Well, wait a second, you're going to sell it on eBay. So why do you need the store? So, <laughs> I mean, talk about it in an in industry that is in need of some adaptation and innovation. What do you think the prospects are both short-term and longer-term for some of these Smaller retailers who are sort of facing two sets of forces here that are negative for their industry?
1: I think for a lot of the smaller retailers, it was, um, let me be as charitable as possible here with uh, my word choice. It was illuminating to see earlier in the year, Amazon, which has disrupted so many retailers, Uh, it was interesting to see Amazon struggle with fulfillment, with shipping. Um, And I think that uh, smaller retailers um, found an opportunity to provide services to people who maybe weren't um, giving them a a look-see because they were able to get almost everything they needed from Amazon. I think, honestly, that's why a business like Etsy has been able to exist and even thrive in the way that it has. Because Etsy is, if you think about it in its own way, Etsy is a mom-and-pop shop that provides things that you can't really get anywhere else. And I think that whether it's a a local store uh, in a smaller town um, or a a smaller chain, I think that um, there are opportunities for businesses to sort of differentiate themselves. Now, that being said, you know, I talked about Walmart and Target making adjustments. They've done well. There are some major retailers that have really struggled this year and none more so than Macy's. I mean, Macy's is about as heritage a brand as it gets in the retail space. And that is a business that is really struggling to find its way. And I think it's because Macy's was built for an era where department stores were much more important and relevant than they are in 2020. Um, So I think uh, any time a, a small store can say, this is our value proposition, this is why you would wanna shop here, people are going to pay attention to that and give them a chance. We know a related topic talking about
0: smaller operations that are really struggling a, a sector that's just absolutely taken it on the chin in 2020 is smaller independent restaurants. And it sounds like, you know, you've know, you been, I think, dispensing some, some sort of friendly advice to your listeners about what people can do in their own lives to try to help sustain these very important anchors of local economies uh, and important aspects of the culture of where we all uh, live and work. Um, so uh, how do you see it in terms of the outlook uh, right now as we close out the year for these smaller restaurants? And is there anything that people can do in their lives to, to try and give them a boost?
1: It's definitely gotten worse as the year has gone on. Uh, I think it was back in April uh, on Motley Fool Money. One of our guests was a man named David Hankis. He's one of the foremost restaurant industry experts in the country. And um, he and his team were putting together sort of their forecast for how bad it was going to be uh, for the restaurant industry in 2020. Cut to August, we had David back on the show. And he had revised his uh, forecast for the industry, and it was much worse. Um, that's how bad things had gotten in the intervening four months. So I, I think it's a it's a really rough time. On the flip side, we've seen national fast casual restaurant chains like Chipotle really thrive, um, and I think that uh, you know it's one reason a lot of people like Chipotle as a stock because they have um, uh, evolved their business to the point where they can create. The same experience for people uh, in delivery, in pickup, um, and it, it really hasn't fallen off. If you're a high-end restaurant uh, that is depending on people to come in for an anniversary dinner or something like that, um, I think those are the restaurants that are most at peril. But I think for a lot of us who just enjoy, maybe not the the high end, uh, you know, I'm going out for my anniversary dinner, but just sort of the the nice local restaurant I mean one of the things and David Hankins said this and and we've continued to say this on our show is uh, pick up some alcohol when you're doing takeout um, beer and wine there are so many cities and states that have relaxed the regulations on on takeout alcohol um, uh, whether it's specialty drinks margaritas at a, your favorite uh, Mexican place or or beer and wine. Um, that is a high margin item that actually helps the restaurants beyond the food that you are taking out as well. Um, so that's something I've tried to do in my own life, um, whenever possible, is just like uh, support local restaurants. Um, and look, I like Chipotle as much as the next person. But we've when we've done Take On in my family, we've really tried to avoid the national restaurants and focus instead on the restaurants that are local to where we live.
0: Chris Hill of Motley Fool Money advising our listeners to drink heavily to get themselves (laughs) through the end of 2020, which, by the way, I don't think our listeners or I need any further encouragement to do that. So look at the in the. 90 seconds or so that we've got left. Do you think that when it comes to some of these smaller restaurants that have been suffering so much, is this just a moment of, I hate to say it for the owners of these enterprises, creative destruction, where a lot of them are going to go under, there's going to be a lot of suffering. But when we come out the other end of the pandemic, there's still going to be a sector here, there's going to be a demand proposition here. uh, And there's going to be a viable business model to be had.
1: I absolutely think that's right. And I think that in the same way that we've seen restaurant chains pivot, because in the same way that we've seen retailers pivot, I mean, uh, Walmart and Target ramping up curbside pickup, ramping up delivery, investing heavily in that space, restaurants, whether they are national chains like Chipotle or mom and pops to wherever you live, they see what's going on. And if they could build their restaurant from scratch today, they would change some of the things they're doing. They're going to come out of this the other side um, with a smarter version. Hopefully, a lot of states and localities are going to keep those relaxed regulations in terms of uh, takeaway alcohol. Um, And I do think uh, for those that do survive, they're going to be stronger for it. Wow. Chris Hill, wonderful insights. This has been the Business Investing and Economics
0: Deep Dive on WKXL with Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, which is the number one stock investing radio show in America. Chris Hill, thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me.